If you have your Bibles with you, please open them to the book of Deuteronomy, and we'll be in chapter 30 today. I found as I have taught math and science in the past that uh, we always seem to, and even theology, we always seem to work from that which is the most simple way to put things into more complexity, which is a perfectly normal way to, to act. But I, I've known this more as, as you actually teach math and science, you end up having to correct all of these views that have been taught to people before about what is an ionic bond, and it's not just the way that you learned about it in seventh grade. So much so with all of life. Yeah, we, we begin by learning that things are black and white, these things are good and these things are bad, and then as we, we go forward in life, we find that complications makes black and white more of a grayscale. Complications sets in, difficulties set in. And it's important to know that God, God does not just think in terms of black and white. He is not unable to work with us in our broken world, that there are grays that God will work with, that God will not always simply force us to think in terms of black and white, but will allow his spirit to work through people who are both sinful and holy. We enter into a time then of thinking through the complexity of the book of Deuteronomy. We've made it this far. And as a matter of fact, we've already kind of talked about Deuteronomy chapter 30 and previous sermons as we were setting up the entire corpus of the book. We talked about these two major arcs. And I haven't talked about it for a while, but there have been two major arcs through the book of Deuteronomy. The smaller of the two arcs, the more inside arc, was an arc from Deuteronomy 5 all the way up through Deuteronomy 26. And this was Moses' explanation of the law. The whole purpose of the book of Deuteronomy, at least in part, was to explain the Ten Commandments to us. We walked through those and we explained that the Ten Commandments are really centered on one fact, that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And that for the Jews who are going to take the promised land, not just the Jews, but all of the Israelites who are going to take the promised land, it was incumbent upon them to keep all of the law. It was incumbent upon them to obey God in every command so that they might not be kicked out of the land, that they might enter into the blessings of God. That was the minor ark, the major ark that encompasses even that dealt with the fact that Moses himself was not to enter into the promised land. Moses is giving this speech. The entire book of Deuteronomy is based on the fact that Moses is not allowed to go in. Although he is capable of going in, he is physically able to walk over the Jordan. God has said, I will not allow you to enter in, specifically because of one incident that happened in Numbers 20. In Numbers 20, the people, for the millionth time, have come to Moses and they have complained about the salvation that they have received. And they've complained about the wilderness wandering. And here in the desert, they're complaining about no water. Why don't we go back? Why did God bring us out here? Why did you, Moses, bring us out here to this desert to die? Every time that this has happened, Moses has been willing to intercede for his people. So the golden calf incident. Moses has spent 40 days up on the mountain and comes down with the tablets of the commandments only to see them worshiping a golden calf. And what does he do? He not only breaks the Ten Commandments, symbolically what they are doing, but he goes back up the mountain where God says, I will make a new nation. I will make it around you, Moses. And Moses pleads with them to not do that. He pleads with them, with God, to be merciful to the people of Israel because his name is now attached to them. Likewise, when the spies refused to give a good report back and the people refused to go take the land at Kadesh Barnea as they looked northward into the country, they cycle around for 40 
years in the desert. But in that moment, God says, I am willing to destroy all of them. And Moses intercedes again for them, saying, God, you've placed your name on them. What will the people say? Egypt will look at this and they will say, he just took them out into the wilderness to kill them, or he took them out into the wilderness but was unable, was not powerful enough, was not glorious enough to give them the promised land. No, no, God, you can't do that. But in Numbers 20, something happens and Moses doesn't intercede. The people come and complain and he goes into the tent of meeting and he kneels down, but he doesn't open his mouth. God tells him you will go out and you will make water come from a rock. We read then in verses 10 through 12 of Numbers 20. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, that is Moses, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Moses refused to intercede because he thought, he thought that this people was nothing but rebellious. This was the the straw that broke the camel's back. This proved to Moses once and for all that this people will never, ever learn. And God says, you didn't believe in me and you didn't trust in me that I would make my promises come true. And we find that in the book of Deuteronomy, that is the key to understanding all of it. There is this beautiful complexity that comes forward in the book of Deuteronomy that the people need to keep the law. And Moses is so clearly understanding that the people will never keep the law. His idea that they are rebels has not changed. He knows that they are the same people here that they were there and they were before that and they were before that. They're not a holy people. They're a people prone to sin and prone to rebellion. This is why the curses spent so much time focusing on the disaster that would happen instead of the blessings that could come from obedience. Moses just doesn't think it's going to happen. But this is a problem for us. You go back and you read in Genesis, the beginning of this whole story, the beginning of the Pentateuch, which we are now ending, the promise that comes to the people of Israel is not dependent upon anything. God just shows up to Abram one day and says, come on, come with me. I'm going to take you to a land. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all the nations through you. I'm going to make you a man of many nations, many nations, and they will all bless you. And through you, I will bless all all of the nations of the world. And in chapter 15, then after Abram is really struggling with this, God sends him out of his tent and says, look up at the stars of the sky and number them. Go ahead, try it, because that's how many I will make your offspring. I will make them as many of the stars as the sky. It isn't dependent upon the law. The law as Paul would aptly say in the book of Galatians, doesn't come from another 430 years after that. Four centuries pass before the law makes its presence known upon the people. The promise says that they will get it. The law says you have to do these things to get it. And there's a problem here. There's, there's a, a complexity here. It's not black and white. The promise says that they should just get it. God has promised it to them. When I promise things to my kids, that usually means that they should get it. 
right? If I'm true to my word. So we have a, a ticket system in our household, which we sometimes use and sometimes don't. That ticket system works as though it's a police ticket. It's not good to lose a ticket is a punishable offense. Um, so we have different values for these, and as they go up through their tickets, they get more and more taken away from them. And ticket three starts being big time because ticket three is dessert, and we are strong with that. You lose ticket three, that's no dessert for the day. No sweets will pass your lips. And so we are very, very clear about that. Now, if I was sitting at the dinner table and I told my son, my son looked at me and he said, Dad, can I have dessert? And there's still some broccoli in your plate. I said, I, I will let you have dessert. I promise you, you will have dessert if you eat that broccoli. You eat that broccoli, you will have dessert. He eats that broccoli and then he throws whatever's left on his plate at his sister. And now I've got a problem because I promised him that if he did that, he would get what he got coming to him. And yet he has something else coming to him, but I can't give him that dessert, right? But what do I do? I made a promise. Now, this is a little bit fictitious because, frankly, my word is not God's word. And we make promises like that all the time. And I can easily come back to, to Isaac and say, listen, man, you know very, very well that your dessert is forfeited by you doing that, even if you ate your broccoli. You know that. But God's word is not like my word. There was no contingencies built in to the system when he called Abram, when he promised to Abram. There were no contingencies. There were no conditions built into that. He simply said, I will give it to you. And then in Deuteronomy, Moses turns around and continually places it before people that you have to do this. If you do not do this, the curses that are upon the whole world will come upon you. So what are we to make of this? The larger arc in Deuteronomy says this, that even if that minor arc, which says this is the law and you must keep it, is broken, God will be true to his word. God will be true to his word. You might not understand it, Israelites. You might not know what it means for God to be true to his word, but God is always true to his word. Remember, when we talked about truthfulness and you will not bear false witness against your neighbor, we talked about the fact that when God speaks, he doesn't speak like we do. When he speaks, reality comes into existence. When he says, let there be light, there is light. When he says this will happen, it isn't just that he thinks it's going to happen. It's that when he speaks it, it comes into reality. It becomes true in every way, shape, or form. So when he promises to Abram, he means that promise. And he also means that if the people are not obedient, they will not get it. How do we manage this? Again, I feel like Moses knows this complexity very, very well. In Deuteronomy 30, we have a bit of an explanation of that. First, Moses reiterates that God's promises will not fail. God's promises will not fail. Deuteronomy 30, beginning in verse 1. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and you obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore you and your fortunes and have compassion on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heavens, from there will the Lord your God gather you. And from there he will take you. 
And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, as he took delight in your fathers, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in the book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. There's one easy way to read that, and that is in verses 1 through 5. The people who are now exiled, there's both blessings and curses. They, they will experience some of the blessings in the book of Joshua, but very soon thereafter, there's the precedent set for all of the curses that are going to be coming true. And they begin to experience those curses, and eventually they will be exiled. And Moses says, when that happens, and you are scattered like dust in the wind in all of your foreign countries, that you will somehow sit there and think, this is, this is stupid. Why am I here? Like the prodigal son waking up one day in that pig stall, trying to eat things that he cannot physically eat, saying, why am I here? My father is abundantly rich. I could even go back and not even really be a son, just be a worker, and, and I could go back and meet with him. And, and Moses is saying, you will come to your senses and you will realize this, and you will then return to the Lord with all your heart. Moses gives the reason why that will happen in verse 6, because the Lord God will circumcise your heart. The heart that didn't understand before, the heart that he has told them to circumcise back in Deuteronomy chapter 10, when he then, in Deuteronomy 29, said that they don't have a heart. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to hear or eyes to see or ears to hear. God will one day provide that for you. He will make it so that you understand, so that you love him. Notice the connection there. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. He will make you desire to fulfill the things that he has asked you to do. That commandment that you could not keep, he will change your heart so that you will keep it. Moses is looking forward to the time when his promises will not fail. And again, there is a reiterating of all the blessings, the curses that were upon you in the foreign land will now come upon those who oppressed you and upon your enemies. The blessings that God has promised to you, blessings of offspring, blessings of cattle, blessings of fruit in the land, they will be brought upon you. You will be indeed blessed. He says, no matter what happens, no matter how the curses fall on you, God will be true to his word. God's promises will not fail. But he goes one step beyond this. In verses 11 through 14, we read from our perspective that God's promises have not failed. Not only will God's promises not fail, but they have not failed. We read this in verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, 
Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. What Moses wants to imply is that God has brought you everything that you need to fulfill all of the blessings that he wants to give to you. There was an epic known as Gilgamesh back in the ancient Near East. It was well known. And Gilgamesh is this brave warrior and he wants to find life. A tragedy has happened to him and he wants to find life. And what we find is that in order to find life, he has to go find the gods. And to find the gods, he goes all over the world. He goes over the sea and he goes over the mountains. He goes everywhere to try and find the gods only to end in tragedy. One of the things that Moses is saying is that is not you. You want to know what you need to do? You don't need to go find out. I've brought it to you. I have come to you. I called you out. I gave you the law. I have brought it near you. Your inability to do it, if there is an inability, is not because you're physically unable. It's not because it's too difficult for you. You can keep your hands from your neighbor's stuff. You can keep your mouth from uttering lies. The promise in Deuteronomy 36, 30 verse 6, we know ends up coming true. There's no doubt that this is a central portion of the Old Testament. This is one of the chief and most important passages in the Old Testament because this passage forms the basis of both Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31, looking forward to a new covenant that Christ will make with his people. Ezekiel 36 says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Already it's sounding very familiar. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That is less a prophecy and more simply a paraphrase of Deuteronomy 30. Jeremiah 31 Beginning in verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God will give you a new heart. The commandments were not far from you, but Moses knows that that is only part of the story. Only part of the the purpose of having the law is having it. The difficulty is you also have to do it. This is what the all all of Deuteronomy was about. And Leviticus 18.5 is a nice central portion of scripture to seal that in. You can only live in the law by doing the law. Moses says God has done everything he needed to do by bringing you the law. You couldn't even think and conceive of righteousness before God unless you had the law, but God has given you the law. But Moses also knows that you can't keep the law without a new heart. Jesus came and fulfills the law. He does what the Israelites cannot do. From beginning to end, he fulfills the law. He does everything that God commands of him to do. He does it spotlessly, without sin. 
He is obedient to the Father, even to the point of death and death on a cross. He does everything that God lays before him, and his obedience then is rewarded with justification out of the grave. Death has no claim over him because he has never done any wrong. And so he is raised from the grave. And Paul then says, anyone who trusts in him, anyone who believes in him and places all of their being into Christ, is then clothed with Christ. As he says in Galatians 3.27, as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You are Christian formed. He is over you so that when God looks at you, Christian, he looks at Christ himself and he sees all of the obedience of Christ and none of your sin. It's not for nothing then that this passage from 11 through 14 is repeated in the Pauline corpus. Paul doesn't treat it the way we would think it should be treated. After all, what Moses is simply saying is, the law is here. You don't need to go find it. My will has been presented to you. You need to do it, but it's there. But Paul in Romans 10 treats it much differently. Romans 10, 5 through 10, Paul says this, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So there's a righteousness based on the law that says you've got to do the commandments to live by them. Paul has already knocked that out. That's not really a possibility for anyone. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 6 then, he changes to not talk about the righteousness that's based on the law, but righteousness based on faith. He says, but what does the righteousness based on faith say? It says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved." He quotes this passage with a ton of changes. A ton of changes. He doesn't talk about going all over the place. He talks about going up to heaven and going down into the abyss. Why does he do this? That has no bearing at all on what Moses is saying here in Deuteronomy. No bearing at all. This passage is about the law. It's not about Christ. How can Paul quote and and make sense of Deuteronomy 30 with what he is saying? The fact that he has just before that quoted Leviticus 18.5, if a person does them, that is the rules of the, and the statutes, he shall live by them. Your life can only be found in the law by doing the law. The provision of the law is not enough. You need to do it. And although Moses says, I've brought it close to you, I've brought it near to you, Paul and Moses also both say you have to do it in order for it to work for you. It being present and available is not enough. You have to make use of it. But the righteousness by faith doesn't say that. The righteousness by faith says that God has not just brought righteousness possibility to you, but he has actually brought righteousness to you. It's not just a possibility that you then need to work toward. It is an actuality. Just as the law was brought near, now Christ is brought near. You don't need to go up to heaven to get Christ so that you might be saved. You don't need to do that. He's done it for you. You don't need to go down into the abyss to raise him from the grave so that you too can be resurrected as though you have to do this thing. No, God has done that for you. 
The word is not far away from you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. And you need to believe it. You need to speak it. And you will be saved. That is not like the law. The law, while available, cannot save you without doing it. The righteousness that comes by faith is by belief and speaking. Believe it. Trust it. Act on it. You will be saved, he says. So God's promises will not fail. Moses looks forward to a time when this stuff will become true. And we know that God's promises have not failed. For in Christ, we fulfill the law. For in Christ, the law has no claim over us. For in Christ, we are free from the bonds of the law. The yoke of the law is taken off of us because in Christ, it is fulfilled and completed and done. We have no need for it anymore. All the more then, God's promises call for a choice. God's promises call for a choice. The law made righteousness available. Christ makes righteousness possible. But you have to choose. Deuteronomy says this in verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you will obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Moses looks out at the people and he says, God's promises might come true. His sovereignty might rule over all things and he might be sovereign even to the minutest detail of your lives. All of that is true and amen that it is true. But nevertheless, that doesn't neglect the fact that you have to make a choice. I set before you today life and death blessing and a curse and you have to choose today what you will do this is no different this is no different for us today there is set before us each and every day life and death whether you are a christian or you are not a christian the pathway to life is only through christ and it is only by each day following him and trusting in him that you will be saved Hebrews 13.3 says this, talking about Psalm 95, which is talking about the rest that God will give to his people. It says, exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Guess what? Today is the day. Do not harden your hearts like the people of Israel did. Do not have a heart of stone But trust in the Lord your God. Trust that Christ has made a way and only by Christ is there a way that you can be made right with God because it is not by the law. It is not by being moral. The most abject sinner in this world is as close to earning righteousness by the law as the holiest of men 
who are tender in their affections towards other people and wouldn't hurt a fly. They are no more righteous and no more close to earning a righteousness before God than the most wicked of men. None of you are capable of it, but Christ has come near. He has come down from heaven and he has risen up from the grave. It is near you, it is by you, and it is for you to call out today to trust in the Lord your God and to trust in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. As long as it is today, it says, and indeed today, is important because today is not just the day that we might confess with our songs that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but today is the day that we take of the Lord's Supper, all the more confirming our faith in him, stating by simply taking blood and wine, excuse me, blood and wine, wine and bread, that our sustenance comes only from him. Our lives are only because of him. Our forgiveness is only by him being the Passover for us. While the law says it's in our actions, faith in Christ says it's by his doings. Therefore, we take of him that we might know forgiveness, that we might know sufficiency, that we might know grace and forgiveness only in Jesus Christ. It is a reminder today that only in Christ can we have these things. It is a reminder to praise God for what Christ has done. It is a reminder that Moses has implied for us in Deuteronomy 30 that we take full advantage of. It is only by the power of Jesus' blood, forgiveness, and new life that we can live how we ought. Therefore, as we prepare for the table, let us be reminded that taking in the body and the blood is a great act of faithful obedience to Christ. Let us choose today life and live. Let us pray. Father God, you are so good to us in so many ways. And we are so thankful that you have sent your son, that we don't have to perform the law, which our hearts would never want to do, but that in your grace and in your wisdom, you have sent your son to fulfill the law for us, that we might have new hearts and new lives according to what has been prophesied in Deuteronomy 30, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, have all come true in Christ. You have been good to your promises. You have provided a way of salvation for your people outside of their own efforts and desires, even with wicked and crooked hearts. We can be made right by you through the blood of Jesus Christ. You are to be praised forever for that. Jesus, we are thankful for what you have done for us. So as we come to your table now, may you be honored and glorified by all that we do. We pray this in the only name that we can, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.